We're turning to the gospel according to John. Uh, easy to find tonight. The gospel according to John and chapter 14. And I want you to open your Bible there and uh, we'll be turning to some scriptures in a minute. And I trust that the Lord will minister to you tonight and speak to you tonight that you've come to hear the word and not only to hear the word but to do it. We need to be doers of the word as well. So turn up John's gospel, chapter 14. And as I say, we'll soon be referring to the first verse or two there. I was thinking the other day that uh, every conceivable prophecy given by the Lord Jesus Christ, re his returning and descending to this earth, to, this er to the air for his saints of God and to the earth, has all been fulfilled. Prophecy has been fulfilled. Over 2,000 years ago, the Lord told us what things would come to pass. And what he told us in the, what we know as the Olivet Discourse have all come to pass or are coming to pass at this moment, as well as what Paul told us, Peter told us, Jude told us, John told us, and the very angels themselves have told us are all coming and coming to pass. The que question on many lips, both the uh, believer and unbeliever, has to be and is, and I'm hearing it, what is going to come next? What's going to come next? You see, we're only seven or eight weeks into 2022. And the things that have happened since we turned over to this new year is amazing as far as prophecy is concerned. On the 14th of January, there was a tsunami. The sea, Jesus said, the sea and the waves roaring. A tsunami, the like of it was never seen in Tanga. And it went on for 14 days and has still been shaken tonight. You see, the word of God says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And then pestilences, that's growth and cancers and pandemics and all that you put into it. And there's not a house as far as Maladies of some sort are concerned, haven't got a touch of something. Sickness. And then he talked about the earthquakes, and there's hundreds of them every day, and it's only the large ones that have been recorded. And then he mentioned the famines. Eleven die every minute from famine. Eleven people die every minute from famine. And we are filling the brown bins and we have our freezers full and we're going out to eat. 48 million people are on the edge, on the brink of a famine. 48 million people are living just on a meal a day or something like that. And then there's the floods, unprecedented in parts of Europe and across uh, in England. And then, of course, there's the storms that we're encountering and we are seeing. All these things are coming at the one time. And that's what makes the prophecy so precious that these things are being fulfilled. 300-year-old trees are taken up by the roots like a daisy and 40-foot lorries are turned over like paper cups. The storm is really unprecedented. In England, they have set the record of late. And then nations rising against nation. That's a nation rising against nation. And there's about 30 of that going on at the moment. And wars and rumors of wars. 
Twice in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, the Lord warns us about wars and rumors of wars. Now, Boris Johnson and Biden and the United Nations are not scaremongering and exaggerating what they're saying. In fact, they're not going far enough. They're saying this is the worst crisis in Europe for 77 years. Many journalists are talking about the, and politicians are talking about World War III. And Armageddon has been mentioned of late. The fear of these leaders tonight is not the fact of a conventional war. The day of the 303 and the old 38 revolvers way long ago. We'll not fight any more wars with those. And it's not an economic war, the sanctions that they're talking about. And it's not a cold war, and it's not a cyber war. It is an atomic nuclear war. And all these nations that are pontificating tonight are all armed with, with missiles that can take out towns and cities and countries. The world tonight is a powder keg. And you don't have to have an ordinary person like me just to tell you that. This world tonight is at an advanced stage. It's, at, it's a powder keg. There's a dictator on the loose. And the dictator Putin is. Because his very generals don't know what is happening. That has been stated clearly. Nobody knows what's in that man's mind, but we do know that he's a hatred for the Jews, maybe as bad or as worse than Hitler had. So the world is not in great shape tonight. Someone said it was like a two-year-old child with a flaming blowtorch, and he was uh, toddling through a warehouse full of jelly a few nights ago, I heard the Prime Minister of Israel saying that Iran was putting their final touch to their, nu- to, to their nuclear power, their bomb. And as soon as the time was right, and I'm quoting his words, as soon as the time was right, he says, we'll blast it, we will destroy it. And that will invariably happen, for they've done that before. Now that will provoke Iran and Turkey and Russia into a backlash and China probably and in Syria just on the borders of Israel Iran and Russia and Turkey have armaments more than anybody knows. Assad has allowed them to put armaments and powers and things that they're ready to strike Israel. And if they strike the reactors in Iran, that could strike off attack on Israel, which could bring in the war of Gog and Magog that we're talking about uh, t- we're talking about tonight. And that also could because Israel will respond again. Do you know that Isaiah 17 and verse 1 has not been fulfilled yet? Damascus, Syria, the oldest city in the world apart from Jerusalem. Isaiah 17 and verse 1 says that it will be taken out and left like a ruinous heap. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. So we're in these days in which we are, I'm just after describing to you, And for the next uh, number of Wednesday evenings, if you come along, I'm going to preach on from here to eternity. I'm going to take a step-by-step analysis of the situation as far as the church is concerned, the Jew is concerned, and the Gentiles concerned, because those are the only three people, types of people, that are on the face of the earth. And if you didn't learn, and I don't learn anything more tonight, you'll learn that, 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says, give no offense to the Jew, to the Gentile, or to the church of God.
I don't know if there's any Jews here tonight, but if you are, you're named in this. Uh, there are Gentiles here tonight, and there's the believer, the Church of Jesus Christ here tonight, saved and the unsaved and the Jew. That's all that the world consists of. And Paul tells us that very clearly. So we will be looking at the, the church and we'll be looking at the Jew and we'll be looking at the world and in the end times and we will be coming into Ezekiel 39, which we haven't really touched yet, when Russia and uh, this invasion happened on Israel. So I want to say to you tonight, if these things are so near, how much more near is the rapture of the church and the taking out of the saints of God? For that's the very next thing can happen. And tonight I'm going to, and I know that some of you are well instructed in this, but others are not, I'm going to speak to you tonight on the rapture of the saints. Just the rapture of the saints. For it's eminent. It's at the very, very door. And we better believe that now, and we better study the scriptures and find that out, because if we really did believe it, we wouldn't live the way we're living. We wouldn't be occupied with the things that we're occupied with. We wouldn't be worrying too much about money or houses or cars. If we really believe where we are in the scripture as far as the saints of God being raptured out of this place. And next week we'll look at the review of service. Before midnight tonight, according to my Bible, before midnight tonight or before another hour, we could be out of here and Christians out of here and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For those are the next two things that are going to happen for the church. And I will prove that from the word of God. You see, the critics of the rapture, the snatching away of the believers that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Those who spiritualize it and criticize it, they first of all criticize the word rapture. And they tackle the word rapture and they say it's not mentioned in the Bible. No, the word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible, but neither is substitution mentioned in the Bible. And if you don't believe that Christ died on your behalf tonight, then you're a heretic. And neither is the Trinity mentioned in the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And if you don't believe in the Trinity, you're a bigger heretic. But I'll tell you, you see, the rapture is, the Greek word is harpazo. It means to be snatched away, seized away suddenly. That's what the actual word means, just suddenly snatched away. Paul says, in a moment, in the twinkling not the wink of an eye, now the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ shall rise first and we shall be taken. It'll be that quicker than, quicker than that, quicker than that, according to the word of God. Now, while it's not named in the Bible, it's illustrated in the Bible. And it's illustrated in many places in the Bible. And if you take time to study the illustrations of it in the Bible, you will come to a conclusion that this is a wonderful old book that we have. You see, it's illustrated in the life of Enoch. Remember, Enoch lived 365 years. 365 years. The first 65 years, he didn't walk with God. But the last 300 years, he walked with God and was an awesome servant of God. We read about him in other scriptures. Now, why did he start walking with God at 65? Because Methuselah, his son, was born when he was 65, and Methuselah's name, when he is dead, it shall be sent. What sent? The flood. The deluge. That was Methuselah's name. And actually, he didn't. He lived the longest man to ever live, showing the grace of God, showing the mercy of God, showing the long-suffering of God, giving men and women to get ready in time before God destroyed the ark in the flood. 
He walked with God. I would say that every time, I'd say he kept a good eye on Methuselah. You see, that's what brought him into walk with God. The fact that any day this child could go and we'll be destroyed. And I would say that he watched him. And I would say that he went in tonight to his room and he'd have listened. Is he still here? My friend, if we realize that tonight, that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, and if he comes, he's going to destroy the world eventually, and you're, if you're not saved, you're going to be lost in hell forever. Enoch, was not, Enoch never died. He was taken up, type of the rapture. He was taken out. Then we have Elijah. Elijah never died. He was caught up in a chariot of fire and brought up into the glory. And we read of him in the, in the Gospels then again. So Elijah never died. He, he was a type. He was an illustration of the rapture. He, he was taken up, taken out just in a moment of time. In fact, 50 men, strong men, were sent to look for him. Fifty strong men were sent out, look you for Elijah, we can't get him, where's he gone? He was gone up. That's where the old boys, uh, hell's angels in Jericho, when Elisha was gone up, they started to mock him and they said, go up, go up, go up, go up. God sent the bears out of the woods to slay them. Don't mock the rapture now. Don't be mocking these scriptures, these are precious scriptures to the Lord. And so the men were, 50 men were sent out to look for, we can't get him. He might be in some mountain, he might be in some valley. Elisha says, no, don't be looking for him. But they went on anyway. I wonder would anybody look for you if you were gone? Or me? Would we be missed? Would you be missed in your business? Would you be missed in your workplace? Believer, would you be missed in the office? Hmm? Well, people will be glad to see the end of you, or me. Maybe so. And then, of course, you have the Lord Jesus Christ when he, he ascended up and they gazed up. This Jesus was up into heaven, do you remember, in the ascension. And those men of Galilee stood watching him go up. He just went up, he gravitated up, just up into that. This same Jesus whom you see go, a picture of the rapture. This same Jesus whom ye see go will come again. Coming again. And then, of course, there was the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Remember, he had the vision of heaven and he said he was caught up. That's the very same word, hapazo. That's the very same word he was caught up. It was the same with Philip and the eunuch. You remember, they went down into the waters to be baptized and the Philip was caught away. That's the word hapazo. It's a caught away. He was just taken out of the way and he was gone. And it says that the eunuch, eunuch rejoiced. So there's the rapture. There's the rapture illustrated in the word of God. And any moment now, any second now, not a prophetic scripture to be fulfilled, I tell you, no, I tell you, I haven't time to go into this tonight, but I believe with all my heart God is waiting for a sinner or sinners tonight. You see, the long suffering and the mercies of God is great. It's beyond any knowledge of ours, and He doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want men and women to perish. I never cease to amaze whenever he was going up to Jerusalem in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and he was going to die. He had a thousand things in his mind going to the cross to die for sinners. And there was a cry came from Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. He sat by the highway begging and he cried out, Lord Jesus, have mercy. The Son of God, have mercy. Have mercy upon me. And it said that Jesus stood still. I tell you, he stood for one sinner. 52 years ago, way down in West Romana. He stood till I got time to come. Oh, I tell you, he's a mighty, mighty loving 
Savior. And I believe that God is waiting in his mercy and long-suffering and love, and I believe it's nearly exhausted, and maybe it's for someone in this meeting tonight or somebody listening to me tonight. He called you and he called you and he called you and you haven't yet come. You'll perish without him now if you don't. Because it's not his will that any would perish. God wants to pour out a spirit and revival blessing, not a worldwide revival, I don't believe, or even a nationwide revival, but God wants to pour out his, his spirit in revival in pockets around here, in this area, in this district, in this island of Ireland. I believe he wants to do it with all his heart, to save sinners and to bring them into the kingdom of God. And he's holding the whole business up for you. Oh, boy. So we have the, the rapture illustrated. Now get your eyes on John 14. Because it's not only illustrated in the Bible, it's promised here by the Lord. Now watch these scriptures, because these scriptures are ranted out, you know, at funerals and weddings and all sorts of places, and people haven't a clue what they're saying. This was the commencement of the last message and conversation that our Lord had collectively with his disciples before he went to the cross. And he goes on chapter 14, 15, 16, chapter 17, where he is the high priestly prayer. He prayers, prays when it's all over. Now you hold that in mind when you're reading these, this, this scripture. Hold it in mind. Let not your heart be troubled. That's what Jesus said to them, to the disciples. Do you know it's the disciples that should have been saying it to the Lord? They weren't going to face anything. They weren't going to face the cross and Gethsemane and Gabbatha and stripped naked on the cross. They weren't going to face anything. They fled anyway, all of them. We say unto them here, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now, this was his hour of power and hour of darkness. In the Lord Jesus Christ's mind, he was going forward to be betrayed, to be denied, to be crucified, to be hung out on a cross. He had all of this in his mind. And, and all that he's doing here is trying to comfort the people. If you want to get a, a, a thought of the mercy and the love of God, I'll tell you, you'll get it in this chapter, in these verses. He's more concerned about their trouble than he is about their own. And listen, he's concerned about your trouble tonight. Let not your heart be troubled. What are you troubled about tonight? If you're saved, you should have nothing to be troubled about. Not a thing. It's him that's thinking about them. And that's one of the reasons that I love him with all my heart tonight. One of the many, many reasons. Because he thinks of me. Day by day. Then go on and see what the verse says here. He says, let not your heart, that's 11, he's speaking to the disciples. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. You know, that word believe is in twice. Don't pass that over now. Ye believe in God. Now most translators say that the word ye should not be in there. 
And so what he's saying to them is, believe in God, believe also in me. You see, their problem was unbelief. Their problem was unbelief. And as my mother used to say, whenever we had an ailment at home and sniffed or snuffled on it, she said, get the, I'll get the thick. You ever get, you get thick there, I don't know. And she rubbed it on your head and she thick. This is what we talk about when we get the thick. You need to rub it in. And he's rubbing into these disciples here their unbelief. Their unbelief. Ye believe, or what he's saying is, believe men and God. Trust, rest, put your faith in God. The problem was that their faith was gone and fear had taken over. And when fear comes in, faith will go. That's what's wrong with them. And their lack of faith came from their lack of knowledge. It came from their lack of knowledge of the word. They should have known very well, for he told them many and many a time he was going to die and he was going to rise again. And how that thick they couldn't take it in. And they're all scared for themselves. What are we going to do? Oh, the Lord's going away now. What are we going to do? They had a lack of knowledge. Though they knew the commandments and they knew the Torah and they knew all about the letters of the, the Satan Moses seat and they knew it all and they knew what was going on. The same as the scribes and the Pharisees. They were imbibed with doctrine, but they knew very little or nothing about the cross. Oh, if I can only get this over to you tonight. These men should have been saturated in the prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament and they would have known. They would have known from Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and those other messianic psalms that he was going to the cross, he was going to die, he was going to rise again and he's going to come again too. But you see, they're like many of God's people today. They don't know the word. And if I were to sit down beside you individually tonight and ask you how long you spent in the word today, you'd be ashamed. So you would. And you'll never grow and you'll never get faith and you'll never understand anything until you set that hour aside and more if you can. And get the tapes off and the phones off and the menageries all out. And get down before God in the word. These boys didn't know. He said to them on the road to me, yes, he said, ye fools and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets had spoke. Oh, had he not enough to contend with without contending with this? And then he goes on here, believe, trust in God, trust also in me. That's a powerful verse there for, the, for, for his divinity, his deity. Believe God, believe me, for God and me, he says in verse 9, when you go on down, me and my father is one. And then he says this in verse 3, and here's what I want to get the punchline in tonight. He says, and if I go, in verse 2, in my father's house are many mansions, not nests, as some of the translations have it, or rooms either, that some of the translations have it. The Word of God tells me there's many mansions. Heaven is a place of mansions. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Of course he would tell us. Do you think the Lord would fool us? About heaven? Do you think he'd have us praying for men and women and boys and girls and sons and daughters to go to heaven if there was no heaven? Do you think he's a deceiver? 
Do you think he would deceive us and for this blessed hope that we have that we're seeing every day and enjoying every day? I'm going to heaven. Jesus has prepared a place. That's what he said. I go and prepare a place for you. And in my Father's house, look at what he said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing a place. 2,000 years and more he's at it. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. There's no doubt about that. That's a promise, one of the promises of the Lord regarding it. You either believe him or you don't believe him. I will come again and receive you. He's not coming to stay with us down here. He's going to receive us onto myself. And we read in another scripture, and we'll be turned to it before we close, the Lord himself shall descend from, not an angel, not Gabriel, not Michael, the Lord himself, the same Jesus whom you see go in like manner will come again. He's coming himself. He's not getting someone else to do the job for. I'm going to, he's going to come and I'm going to see him and so you. And I will receive you unto myself. That's where I am. There ye may be also. Do you see that phrase there in my father's house? Well, the father's house is only for the children. I have two girls. They're the only ones on this earth can say to me, I'm going to my father's house. I'm not the father of every child. God's not the father of every child either. He's the creator. And if you want to be in the family of God, you'll have to be born into the family, just as my girls were and just as you were. You'll need to be born again into the family of God. Are you born again tonight? Are you a son and a daughter of the living God tonight? Because if you're not, you'll not be in the Father's house, for he's not your father. The Lord Jesus himself said that those who knew him not were their father was the devil. Are you either serving the Lord or you're serving the devil tonight? My father's house. What a lovely phrase that is. Three times he mentions the father's house. Now I'm going to cut this message tonight when I feel right and take it up again. I'm not going to rush myself. Three times he mentions the father's house. Here, first of all, it's a prepared place. He mentions it again in the cleansing of the temple. It was a praying place. Remember he scourged them out of the temple. He says, you have made it a den of thieves. that God's house, the Father's house is a house of prayer. And in Luke 15, it's a praising house. You remember the prodigal? When he came to himself and he realized his sin, he repented and ran back to the father's house and the father received him and killed the fatted calf and there was rejoicing and praising. And the angels praised in heaven that one sinner had repented. Oh boy. The other Sunday night there were two people cried to God here. The angels were ecstatic in heaven in the presence of the angels, and I think the angels too, but in the presence of the angel, the Lord is in the presence of the angel, and he rejoices over souls. Maybe he'll rejoice over you tonight if you repent and come. Come to him. Now turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Just take your time now. We're going to leave time for prayer. But I wouldn't get finished what I've been thinking tonight. Because we need to be taught from the scriptures. That's the food that you need. This is the manna. 
Take your time and get First Thessalonians chapter 4. Way past the Colossians and into Thessalonians. There's two letters, two epistles, and this is the first one. And I want you to look at verse 13. Because it's illustrated the rapture in the scriptures, and it is promised by the Lord, and it's explained here by Paul. Paul's explaining it here, how it's going to happen. This is Paul's second missionary journey. It took him to Thessalonica where he was three weeks. This is the first epistle. If you give him all the epistles, Hebrews, he's 14 epistles. This is the first one. And if you read it carefully, you'll discover that most of it is about the Lord's return. Indeed, the two epistles, the two Thessalonians, about the Lord's return and about judgment and how we should be living in these last days. These were young Christians at Thessalonica. And they were not long saved and they were afflicted Christians. And he made it a priority to preach to them about the Lord's return, about the rapture. You get that into your mind. Because I'll tell you, it's not a priority amongst the churches today. It's anything but. You know, in my young days, when I, 53 years ago, when we, Pat and I got saved, there's hardly a meeting you'd went to. And our brother, Philip, will concur with that. There would hardly be a meeting that you'd went to. But you're instructed on the second coming of the Lord. There was some prophecy in it, some fed your soul and filled and kept you going. No, now they say, oh, we can't be preaching on that. It's so complicated now and there's so many different views on it now. Well, I'll tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is at a loss. And as I let the other doctrines of amillennial and well, post-millennial and all the rest of it is let it run wild. Oh, there's an awful curse on the Calvinistic doctrine as far as the perseverance of the saints is concerned. Because if you, you believe tonight that it doesn't matter whether you pray and it doesn't matter whether you preach, it doesn't matter one thing. The Lord's going to save. He's going to come at his time. He's going to do what he likes. And you, if you're not going to be saved, you're not one of the elect, so don't do anything. And a lot of them are doing nothing. It's an awful, awful doctrine to imbibe. I tell you, it knocks all the fire out of your soul and longing and pleading and intercessing and crying and enjoying God and seeing sinners saved. Very sad. Paul's explaining this. And if you look at verse 13, he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That was, that's those that had died. You see, they were concerned. Some of their loved ones and friends and relatives probably had died and they weren't sure what was going to happen to them. But he says they're only asleep. He says, I'd not have you ignorant, brother. No, don't, don't be concerned about them sleep. We sorrow not even as others that have no hope. He's saying to them, we have a hope, and it's a blessed hope. Now look at verse, look at, look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died, didn't say Jesus slept, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. We only sleep because he died. 
And that loved one that you laid, saved by the grace of God, laid in the grave. The body's asleep. That's just asleep. It's going to awaken some of these mornings, some of these days. It's going to awaken. And the only sleep, the soul's only sleep, the body's only sleep, the soul does not sleep. The body's asleep, the remains is asleep, and is sleeping in the grave, and it'll sleep there until he comes. And then he'll awaken. He'll awaken. Look at that verse again. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? (laughs) I have an old mother in a letter to the Lord probably six months before she died. I was doing a mission not far from here, 1987. And I had been, she was in a nursing home in Enniskill and I'd been down to see her many a day. Not, not a sound, not a sight. I was seeing souls all over the country in my own mother. And the Lord spoke to me one Saturday morning. He says, you're seeing souls saved everywhere. He says, and your old mother's not saved. And I got into the car and went down. And I said to her, would you like to be saved? She says, I'd love to be saved. And we laid her in the grave on the shore, down the shore of Loch, the banks of Loch Air, and she's lying not far from the loch under in the grave. And one day, what's going to happen? Look at verse 16. This is what's going to happen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now link that up with the end of verse 14. And Jesus will God bring with him. Now you just hold that. I tell you when that trumpet sounds and the Savior shouts, and that'll be an awesome day. That'll be as quick as a flash, quicker than I could do anything. I tell you, the dead in Christ, my old mother will come up. Her body will come up. And her soul will come down with the Lord because she's in heaven. And the soul and the body will be united. They'll be united together just as they come up. They'll be transformed in, like onto his glorious body. New bodies, no sickness, no sin, no pain, no suffering. A new body like onto his glorious body. Oh, I tell you, that's going to be a mighty day. What's going to happen in that moment? It's going to be powerful. It's going to be mighty. Those that are asleep, will he bring with him? The body out. The soul down. Linked together, body, soul, and spirit. In the presence of the Lord. Forever. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And we shout, O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy victory? O cancer, coronary, Parkinson's, where's thy victory? Oh, tell you, there's victory in Jesus. I don't see a bit of excitement about most of you. I wonder you saved at all. I tell you, this is, I'm laying out now from here to eternity. This is going to happen any moment. We haven't even touched the judgment seat. We'll be at it next week. We will give an account from the moment we got saved. That's if you claim to be saved. It's going to be a mighty day. The trumpet shall sound and the dead shall rise and incorruptible. We shall be changed. Our bodies will be all like onto his glow. I don't know what that'll be like. I don't know what it'll be like. And then it says, see the wee bit at the end? Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Would you tell me now 
tell me if we're, we're going through the tribulation. What comfort would be in that? Oh, do you, do, you, do you know what the tribulation is going to, the moment the church goes, the Antichrist is going to appear, he's going to manifest himself. He is already about. The moment we go out, the Antichrist will go to Israel and have a peace accord with the Israelites because by that time, the world's looking for a man tonight, but they'll be looking for a man a greater in a greater way when the church goes, when the salt of the earth goes, when the light goes. You think it's bad now. It's the saints of God. It's these prayer meetings here at night in this corner that's holding back. But I'll tell you when the prayer goes and the spirit goes and the saints goes, the Antichrist will be complete and utter control of all things. And you, if you're left behind, will take the mark of the beast, whether you like it or whether you not. And if you don't, you'll be killed. We're going to deal with the Antichrist too. If you come, I'll preach. We're going to deal with that. Tell me, do you not think that mothers and fathers that look at their wee family, every time I see a child these days, I don't know why it is, I just think, God help that child. I wouldn't want to be young again. Maybe that's selfish. And every time you look at that wee child and you see them play and you see them running about, what comfort would it be to think that that wee one's going to go through the fire and the fury and the flames of the tribulation and all that awesome stuff in Revelation? No, sure, we have trouble enough. We've enough to contend with. Have we not enough, Mother, Father? Have we not enough to contend with? Do you think that the Lord would allow that? I don't believe it for one moment. He says, comfort yourself with these words. Take comfort. The fact that you'll be out of it. I, before Russia, before Putin goes another step, and I don't know what, 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 if there's any prophecy of what he's doing or what's going on in Ukraine. I don't know. I'm not interested. But I'm interested in this one, in the church. What would you want to say? Oh, God help us. If you study, again, you need to know your, study Revelation, see what the tribulation is going to be like, will you? And we're going to go through it. That's what that tells us. I'm going to finish. I'm going to leave time for prayer. And I'll take this up next Wednesday evening. And we're going on down to the very point where Russia is going to invade Israel. And we'll deal with Ezekiel 39 when the time comes. But I don't want to rush it. I said I mustn't rush this. Must, must instruct our people. I don't know there's thousands listening to these messages and I just want to unburden my heart and I want to strike at old truths that's not been struck today in many places. And I challenge you, and I give you scripture after scripture after scripture, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, I'll, I'll, I'll receive you graciously if you can show me what I'm saying is wrong. Just to finish off, let me give you an illustration. A very sad illustration. A woman the name of Janet Willis. She had nine of a family. Six of them were killed in a tragic accident one day. 
What about the pain in the leg now? Mm -hmm. What about the headache now? said the grief was awful. Awful. Why would it not be? Then she made this statement some quite a while after it. She says, I know they're safe. You see, you can be safe and not saved. You can be saved and not safe. Are you saved? She says, I know they're safe. I know they're good. And I know they're happy. That was a woman of faith. And she'll see them again. Will you see your loved one again? Or will they see you? Moses said to Pharaoh, Thou shalt see my face again no more. Look into his face tonight. We're going to sing a hymn. I'll go to the door. There's some books. You just come round the side if you want to talk to me. Or there's a wee room at the left. You can't gamble with this. We don't know what's going to happen any minute. No man knows the day or the hour. But it's here. May God help us tonight to love the Lord and to serve him and to live for him and be ready when... He comes.